You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Hi, I'm Brian O'Hare, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You are listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Brian O'Hare. He's the author of Surrender. It's a collection of stories. And he's the winner of the 2021 Veterans Writing Award. Brian, how are you? Tony, I am top of the world, ma. You know, I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How was it getting that uh, writing award? Uh, well, in a, you know, you spend six, seven years in your garage banging away at, you know, your computer and, you know, with very little sort of affirmation and you get an award like that from somebody like Phil Cly, who was the, the judge, you know, the national book award winner, who is the judge for the award. And it's, it's a nice pat on the back. It felt terrific. Kind of a, you know, I, so far a pretty big game changer. I, I like that you bring up the um while well, we sit in our our rooms and our garages with like zero validation as we go through this the 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 torture of the, doing this but the also you know I, for me it's also the like insatiable drive but it's just it's not a great idea you know well it's not but see when you say the word idea it's like as if we had a choice um yeah. I always say, you know, my son who's playing bass and he's in a band and all this stuff. And like, I'll, I will counsel him that if this is a sickness or a disease, you should absolutely do it because it's the only way that you can make it through, you know, the purgatory of being in, you know, your studio apartment or your garage or wherever it is um, with no affirmation and maybe no, none ever. Um, Because if it's a disease or a sickness, then, you know, you can't help yourself. Um, it certainly is a lifestyle choice. It's a terrible one. We're clearly masochists, which I am for sure. And at the same time, there's this, and that's why, you know, I feel like I get along with you instantly, you know, when we had breakfast and such, it's just like, cause we, we both have the disease. Yes. It's, yeah. It's, I have to say, if you do have the disease, it can be kind of cozy. You know what I mean? Cause uh-huh. it's like, I don't know, it's like we're sideshow or circus people and, you know, the rest of the, the other whatever 8 billion people in the world are like civilians or squares, you know, like uh, however Burroughs would have put it. Um, you know, we we have it's like a little weird club of people who are sick. And I like being with our people uh, because we don't have to explain ourselves to each other. We just get it. We know. And it's yeah. like an instant thing. Um, I hate explaining myself. I, I, you know, so it's nice to meet people like you or, you know, other writers or, you know, artists in general, because we're all kind of the same way. Um, so yeah, I like our tribe. That's how we're rich, I think, is because, you know, we, we may not, you know, achieve like, uh, you know, Harry Potter or Stephen King kind of money. Um, but I do feel that we are rich and I, I mean that without a hint of any irony. Um, I like the life that I live because of the people that are in my life that I've met through writing or producing Farsi language films or something. I'm a very rich man and, uh, I couldn't imagine anything else. That's it's perfect. I like the way you say that because, and also I just love that it, there's a shortcut to just like, we understand the experience. Yeah. Whereas, you know, someone goes, Oh, you're a writer. Well, what have you written? What have I seen? Blah, blah, blah. Cause they only, they can only, and you know, even, and like with working on film and stuff, they can only um, understand an outcome. They don't yeah. understand the process, but the yeah. process is everything. And the outcome is just like, it, the outcome is like the last little, uh, the last little drop that's out of the faucet, you know, <laughs> for us, it's just like, okay, well, there it is. And yeah. we're, we're already on another process over here. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The process is everything. And I think that the outcome is almost some, somewhat of an anticlimax in a way. Yeah. And I would say too, that based on my sort of like, you know, guilty Irish Catholic, Polish conscience. Um, I don't know. To me, the outcome almost seems a little like 
I don't know. It's too pleasurable. It's, I mean, it's like, it's unseemly in a way. And I prefer again, back to the masochism part, you know, I do find real joy in the toil and the process of it. Um, it seems noble to me. Yeah. To me too. I mean, I was at, I, I was at the cafe early this morning when, you know, I'm doing like a draft 250, you know, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a late draft. So I have the whole manuscript, but just kind of like, just having that rubber band around the whole manuscript and setting it down. And then you see all these people on their keyboards with their screenplays. Cause they're in their head. They're like, I want to be a big time famous, you know, screenwriter. And I'm just going, yeah, I'm going to be dirty over here with just my pages, my pages of prose. <laughs> it's just, it, I don't know why it feels noble. And, and I have my nose in the air about it, but at the same time it feels noble and I have my nose in the air about it. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is, and I'm I'm with you. Um, I don't know. I, I said, have as somebody who has you know beat his head against the wall with screenwriting for a while, um, you know, I, that's not for me anymore. It seems to be kind of a really fruitless endeavor in so many ways. The fact that you need so many, you know, so much permission, so to speak, to to have it be a complete experience. I think one of the great things about writing prose is that if you have somebody else read it, it's a complete experience. Um, you know, we have written it, somebody has read it, and then it's it's not like a film where you need again money, which is permission, and you know, it a screenplay is just is like 10% of the process, and you may have yeah. spent years writing it. And that is really unsatisfying, I think, or at least yeah. to me. Yeah, I I love both mediums like to death. I love screenwriting and I love prose. But gun to my head, it's it's prose any day. Absolutely, you know. But at the same time, I got no problem crafting a you know, you know, not you know when I say crafting a screenplay, it makes it sound grandiose. Beating my head against the wall to fix the puzzles that I've created to fix all these problems to make something interesting in a screenplay, you know? Well, I think actually, so I, my producing partner, uh, Azadeh Navai, like basically I, I've, I've limited all of my filmmaking down to like one person. Now we just made this Farsi language short film that the New Yorker of all people have just picked up for screening, uh, streaming rights for two years. Oh, wow. What's that? I said, oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, well, I mean, the New Yorker. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, writing being such a solitary pursuit and satisfying in that, again, back to that thing about like you can kind of have a complete experience, you know, fairly easily. It does get a little bit lonely after a while. And I do enjoy the collaborative nature of uh, creating a, you know, a visual piece of storytelling. And so for me, it's a nice balance being able to, you know, to work with Azadeh to create a film um, is satisfying in a different way. Again, gets me out of the garage, which is nice. Hey, what gets me out of the garage? It's it's (laughs) it should be a book unto itself. Exactly. So so, um, how long have you been working on Farsi films and when did you learn Farsi? Like, how did all the. I I only know you know words that could get me punched in the mouth in <laughs> and I can be polite too and yeah. affectionate. But Hello, I, your I, butt smells like cow poo. Exactly. <laughs> then you get a big kiss. Um, so I don't I don't know Farsi at all, but I had done a documentary um in 2017 and uh the director's wife came had she they were not married then but she had come back from iran cal arts graduate and uh she edited the film and it really transformed it from being you know like a fairly workmanlike telling of this story the film is called logan syndrome um about this painter in salt lake with an incredibly rare genetic disorder and she got her poetic hands on it and really turned it into in in the best possible way art um and so she switched was switching from uh non-narrative to narrative film and she said you need to produce this farsi language film that i have about an eight-year-old girl deciding to wear the hijab for a class picture 
And so I produced it and we shot it here in LA. So, you know, I, I got into Farsi film, you know, through the back door, so to speak. Um, but it's a Rizu, the, the film that we created together is a terrific film. The so, the one with the, with the student who wants to wear a hijab, that's, I mean, that's right there. That just, that sounds monumentally interesting. Huh? It, it is. And it's one of those interesting, you know, every once in a while you'll, your timing will be perfect. I mean, we started shooting that like a little bit less than a year before, uh, you know, all the events in Iran had kicked off this past September. So we were already sort of like ahead of the, the, the storytelling curve of that. And our film is, it's not political, but you know, it, it deals with, it's a, it's an eight year old girl's decision, you know, to, and, but you know, you can extrapolate a lot, of stuff out of it um and you know the, the new yorkers certainly felt that way which was again hugely satisfying because you make a little film and it is i hate i hate that that modifier little it's but it is it's a 15 minute short film that we shot like in van nuys in valley village you know law the valley for tehran um and it looks like if i if you didn't know that it was shot in the Valley of Los Angeles, you would have no idea that it was not Tehran. Um, but, you know, you, you go and you make this film and with, you know, no hopes of any validation. And then, you know, the clouds part and it works out every once in a while. So it was nice to get the validation for that, too. And did and you had the same editor on it? Uh, yeah, actually, Azadeh edited that as well. So mm-hmm. she directed it and edited it as well. Yeah. I, I think as we go forward, um, she's not going to edit anymore. It just gets a little bit, it just gets too sticky in a way. Or you get too close to it. Yeah, because it's it, that what I've understood over the years, it's like they'd say the films are written in by three people, the screenwriter, the director, and the editor. Exactly. And and all it needs is one weak link in that, and the film sucks. <laughs> you know, exactly. And you need, I think, that, again, like a good editor with prose. I mean, I think you need somebody who loves you, so to speak, or understands what you're doing, but is one step removed in a way in going yeah. like, okay, I this doesn't work. And, you know, because you spent whatever... Ten thousand dollars to to shoot the scene, or you spent three months, you know, and you flew to Mexico to write this particular part of the book that you don't want to let go of it, um, and you may need to. Um, yeah, a, I think a a a good editor, either in prose or in film, is like that person who can sort of do a you know a gut check storytelling wise for you. Um, so it's nice. So it's not again. So it's nice to sort of spread that out over people. So it's not the same person doing that. Yeah, it's um, and at the same time, I I feel like all the stuff we have to cut. Um, I, I feel like it needs to be written in order for us to get to where we need to go. Absolutely. Yeah, I think yes. I mean, I have a tendency, and I don't know how you are with this, but I'll overwrite first. Mm-hmm. I'll overwrite the shit out of something and then again, get feedback from, you know, my editor or whatever. And then, then you can kind of see it like, Oh yeah, you can sort of like shrink it down a little bit and you can kind of see where the, the you know, the, the self-conscious flash, I don't know, flashiness or whatever you want to call it. The, I had a friend of mine who used to say about screenwriting, but I think it relates to prose as well. He would say he would read something and occasionally would say, oh, this reeks of the page. Um, oh, that's a good term. It's a great term because it seems so anything that seems, you know, like writerly or whatever, um, or like you're showing off or whatever, you know, it needs to go. But I think in the beginning, I, I think it's OK to do that. At least it helps me think, um, you know, the proper territory or tone that I want to be in uh writing wise so yeah and it puts and it puts it all on the page once it's on the the page is such a different relationship than in our head and, you know that all so many people go oh i have a great idea for a story and i just go no you don't <laughs> it's just like you know my, my best stories come from really bad ideas that i have and then i craft them for years but you know i have a good idea for a story i don't care you know they're not writers i'm like i, I don't even want to hear it 
No, but it's really good. You can use it. Oh, no, no, no. I trust you. I'll never use it. <laughs> you can, exactly. You can use it. Now you do it. Yeah, people say that with film. I had a great idea for a documentary. I was like, dude, go for it. Do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't have enough days left on this planet, you know, to chase. Like, I can, I can barely handle the, you know, again, the masochistic endeavors that I'm already, you know, engaged in. Um, much less somebody else's great idea. And again, I think it has to be, it has to really be bloody for you. You know what I mean? Or hot for you. Um, because again, otherwise it's like, how do you get through the possibly years it will take right. to achieve it? You have to be, again, it comes back to this sickness thing again, or this disease that unless you lie in bed thinking about it or in the shower or yeah. making coffee um God, it's just what's the point you know yeah no i just it, i was doing some editing before uh we we were start we started taping and i and i and i wrote this like i had to do a rewrite on a couple of different scenes essentially fantasy fantasy sex scenes for this character you know which is good fun because I don't have to go too far for that, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> I have to go. It's just like, huh, so think about a girl. Okay. Oh, this <laughs> character just has terrible thoughts. Terrible. Oh, what a terrible person this man is. Um, yeah. A man that's <laughs> not you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and I don't know why it flowed out of me. And like, <laughs> but um, no, and then I got to this other part. And then I got to a later part of my book and I forgot to put in my notes that, he has to fantasize about a different character that's already been written. And I'm like, why didn't I have that in my notes? So I have this huge fantasy scene of this new person in my notes, which I only, I took the the woman's name at the cafe. I only used her name. And then I used like composite of three other women that I knew. And then I put them all into this scene. And that was, that was a big scene that I was collecting. I'm like, Oh, I got to create this out of scratch. And, and now that all, that was this morning. And then by this afternoon, it's cut. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's valid too I, you know again back to the irish catholic sort of guilt like sometimes i'll feel like oh well you didn't accomplish anything today if you do that and i think that's a very wrong way of thinking about it i have a writer friend uh in new york and he always talks about couch time he's like have you put in enough couch time and that's what he does. You know, he'll, I guess, lie down on, he'll lie down on a couch and stare off and sort of, but his mind is working on whatever problem that he has for writing. Um, and I think, you know, again, couch time is very, you know, so to speak is very important. Um, and it is still work, even though again, civilians, the squares, maybe as Burroughs would have called them, just see you sitting on a couch staring off, but, that's valid and that's work. Um, so I'm still wrapping my head around that, you know, that you can sort of sit and stare and maybe you can do that for a, a long time, days, weeks, maybe um, to work through problems and maybe cut a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it's, it's work. And I think it's valid. Yeah. I, when you say weeks, I'm just sitting there going, how fun would it be? Just to like sit there for like weeks and just wake up and sit on the couch, and do nothing, and then that after like twenty eight days you go, aha, and then you have the one sentence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. It would drive me crazy. I can. <laughs> I can maybe do it for an afternoon. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I can't sit that still for that long. I gotta. My it's like my hand has to be moving on a page in order for me to like think on the page, kind of thing. No, I agree. I'm one of those people too that like I like to write. You're a by hand writer. Mm -hmm. um, I like to write you know, on the you know like on whatever the word or pages or whatever it is. Um, I think that the act, the physical act of typing or something or writing, I can see it because it's sort of it's like when you're driving and you come up, you can come up with ideas or you go for a walk, like a yeah. walk on Silver Lake Reservoir. It's like oh right. Um, you have this epiphany. Um, I find that like the act of having my hands on the the keyboard and typing um, sort of mimics that in a way. You're kind of thinking in the you're in the territory, um, but you're doing this sort of mechanical thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I find that to be helpful too. 
I, I find it like it's almost like I'm trying to maintain a relationship with a with a very needy uh, girlfriend, and she needs a lot of my time, and my time is putting my hands to the page and it's just like i just got to keep showing up because if i don't show up for a day she's gonna get really pissed off <laughs> yeah she, she's gonna she's gonna punish you for sure you know what i mean yeah it, it's like the it's like the most abusive relationship i would ever have in my life is the project i'm on you know and it's it's abusing me <laughs> well again it's like it's my my word and i use it a lot this masochism thing um and we're kind of in that territory again so again I know what it says about us. I don't even have to ask the question, what does it say about us? Um, but again, I don't know how many people are going to listen to this who are not writers or artists or you know creative people. I think they will all understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I assume, <clears throat> I just kind of assume if ever if anyone's tuning into a, the show, they want to be writers, so they love hearing it on this end. Because, I mean, the whole reason... You know, I, I started I started this maybe over 20 years ago. Oh my god, how old am I? Anyway, let's not answer that question right now. But the but the original re when I first started is because I was a, I was just a fan of writing and I was like writing my the crappiest short stories you can ever think of. But I got to just talk to writers about writer stuff. Yeah. And like those old interviews are like, how do you write? <laughs> I mean, I'm just like I'm just sitting there plaguing uh you know people like chuck polinick with like these questions so really so what do you so how long do you spend when you write and i'm just like and it, oh yeah we're recording this but this is all because i'm trying to seep in as much info as i i need to know and i would listen over and over again and go he said that and it's just like you get i could see the progression um not that I listen to these interviews, but I just remember like when I would, you know, like about maybe five years later, my next, uh, I was always on people on, how did you get your agent? Oh, really? How did you get your agent? <laughs> just like All it was was me trying to find out how to navigate the writing yeah. life. It, it's, yeah. And then I'm, here we are just, so I would be, so essentially me 20 years ago would be listening to this show going, is that how they think? <laughs> yeah. I just like, for me, I just like hearing about any artist or creative person's process. Mm -hmm. It could be somebody who makes pottery. It could be somebody who's, you know, I, I don't know, a flower arranger, uh, a whatever, you know, an opera singer. I think any, any creative person's, you know, approach to how they do what they do is utterly fascinating because it's all storytelling in a way. You think about you know, a painter, a, you know, a painting, what is that? It's a, it's a story, you know, told in oils or acrylics or whatever. And that's why it moves us. Um, you know, music is storytelling. Uh, it's so, I mean, it's all, and it can't be told with words. No, it exactly. has to be told in this, in this, in, in things that are not language, which is just, and, and I, I'm not good at painting or music, but I love consuming it i love hearing how they get there and i don't yeah. understand how they get there but i know the process is you know it takes forever to put together a great album it takes forever to put together a great work of art well it exactly in two because i think the you know the impulses are all coming from the same place um you know uh, a musician or whatever receives the world as we do um is attempting to make sense of their response to the world and wants to communicate what they feel about the world you know um so they're again they're taking in the same stuff they have you know they fall in love they have their heart broken they're you know they're afraid of their mortality or or whatever it is they're grieving um and they're just telling the story using a different instrument you know we're using words uh, as opposed to a paintbrush or, you know, an accordion or, you know, or whatever it is. And so I, I just think it's all fascinating to listen to everybody's approach to that same question that we're all asking. Um, so I find it to be, you know, super helpful um, in helping define what we do. Yeah. I get, you know, I also get a kick out of um, the, like certain type of athletes. I love baseball players and it's just like, and and it, it's just like because it's such another language because they have to make that one play 
you know, after being on the field for, you know, uh, having like 36 hours of field time and being flown all over the place and being jet lagged and they've been doing this for 15 years. And, and if they don't make that one play after they've been bored in right field for three or four days and they have to like just leap and make that play or immediately. Yeah. yeah. And they can't even think about it. And then they, it's just, it's win or lose and it's win or lose for the team and win or lose for the city. The stakes of that just blows my mind and they yeah. have to, and they just get to the, you know, I would have to be, Oh wait, the ball's coming to me. So I think I need to run left. You know, they're just, they're doing this all within split seconds because they're running those drills. And it's just, that intrigues me to no end that they have that they can even say, I just didn't realize this until sometime recently, the auto, the, uh, the audio, their audio senses of how the bat hits the ball and the crack and how the bat's going through the wind that would never even come to my mind. It's just like, Oh, they are taking in, every element of what's happening in that moment without even thinking about it. Yeah. It's, it's all subconscious. It's interesting in truth, you know, you bring up some part of their brain registers when they hear the crack of the bat, where the ball it's already calculating, you know, Oh, it's to my left and it's not that far. Oh, it's okay. It's deeper. Yeah. I'm probably gonna have to jump and all this stuff is happening. Like, you know, in a billionth of a second, and I think you know too. Their that's their their instrument is is their body. Yeah, this instinct or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it's just developed it. You know, so much more than you know ours, me and you. Um, but you know, ours is different. Like with the way I guess that we hear language. You know, and and the way that you know, people will say things and you can kind of get inspired, you know, you'll hear a combination of two or three words or a gesture or something will open up, you know, our version of that, I think, um, where, you know, whether it's, um, you know, I don't know, uh, Mookie Betts on the Dodgers or something like that would, that language would be, you know, that magic of the language might be missing to Mookie Betts, but he can certainly, you know, he's got a golden glove. Um, yeah, we're just sort of you know we're just hardwired differently. Um, yeah. So I don't know I I like to think we have a superpower too, Tony. Not just oh, I agree. I, I I agree, and it kind of just blows my mind that we it's because they they couldn't sit in a room and do what we do and come out with a book, and yeah. I couldn't sit. I couldn't even you know I couldn't stand in at home at uh stand in and wait for a pitch to come to me. <laughs> just be like oh my god that looks like it hurts if I get in the way. <laughs> What, and I think, too, like, I think baseball players are really interesting on the baseball field. Like, I will see them, like, out, off the field, and they're always competing in something physical. Like, and I get it. That's that's who they are. And it leads me to believe, and this is just a gross generalization, that maybe they wouldn't be, like, to me at least, so interesting to hang around. Right. Because... They would want to play, hey, let's play one-on-one, you know, in right. basketball. And I would be like, no, I don't. I like, just want I'll, to talk to you. I want to get in your yeah. head. <laughs> yeah. I'm, let's sit and like, let's drink some coffee. Let's have some beer or whatever. And like, yeah. I want to figure out your process. All right. How about ping pong? You know what I mean? <laughs> like they just want to compete all the time. But again, that's their superpower in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so hold on. I got. How do I turn this off here? Sorry, my uh, I don't know how to turn my messages off here. Oh, I, I don't hear it. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, to me, that looks really boring. Um, yeah, but- exactly. It's it, even even like when you see like, like big superstars and celebrities and you just kind of know, you're like, man, he's so sexy on the big screen. And people be like, wouldn't it be cool to hang out with blank? And you're just like, nah, <laughs> he's a great actor, but nah. Yeah, that's, but after that's as, yeah, that's as far yeah. as it goes, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I'd like to hang out with the writer. I'd like no, to exactly. hang out with the director. That's that's where I feel like I can sit there and go, "Hey, I can hang with you guys and um and have a little bit of a shortcut 
Um, because those are kind of the weirdos. It's it's like the circus thing, you know. That's the circus part of it. And even the actors are going, "You don't understand," because I sit here and I'm and I get into the vessel of another character, and I'm like, "I know you do it so good," and I could never do that in my life. Yeah, Yeah. you know. I agree. I and again, I think what we're saying is that we like these like flawed people. you know, and I think the, again, the circus comparison is the you know is an an apt one. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We all we got we got interesting things rolling around in our heads. You know that need an outlet, and those yeah, those are the people I want to hang around. Um, but again, I like watching the movies, and I like watching you know the Dodgers or whoever play. Um, I'm rather, from San Francisco, so I like I like watching the Dodgers lose. You know what? I, I, I'm like it, I, I, I was, I, it's a cult. I know I, I they indoctrinated me young, and I just I can't get the. I'm a Giants guy, and that's. I know Tony, and I was just waiting. I knew I know you're from up there, and I was just yeah. waiting. I mentioned the Dodgers. Like you hit your point. You were like, all right, fuck it, Brian. I have to bring up the Giants because if you mention <laughs> the Dodgers one more time. <laughs> <laughs> whatever i i understand your need to do that i i like if someone even asked me to try on a uh dodgers cat hat i wouldn't be able to put it on yeah i just because i it would feel like i was i don't know but the, the, at the same time the stupidity of the stupidity of that is also kind of beautiful i think on the wow. human condition level because we can get passionate about sports, which actually really means nothing in the big grand scheme of things, but it's the definition of nothing. Right. But we still, it still means it, it's, it's it, maybe it's me trying to find meaning. It's tr- like we were talking about earlier as writers, we're trying to answer the big questions of, you know, fear of death, heartbreak, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, this is, this also brings up questions of, are the Giants going to make it this year? Oh no, we have injuries. It's 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 a little thing in our brain to maybe keep us away from. Uh, I'm going to die soon. I'm going to die soon. I'm no, going to die soon. <laughs> no doubt, but I think also as well, like you said, they got to you young. You know, yeah. as far as being a Giants fan, and that would imply as well that the people who got to you when you were young was, you know, whatever, I'm just going to guess. It's like a father figure, a fa- you know, uh, an uncle or somebody. So there is a, there's an emotional connection to that attachment yeah. as well. And being a Giants fan, being a Dodgers fan or whoever is, is in a way to connected to that feeling that you have for those people or the, the, what you remember of those times um so yeah it's 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 deceptively complex i think and you know it relates to place as well um you know your love for a place weirdly enough like i used to live in seattle in uh in the early 90s and i tuned in to the mariners during the 1995 season which they were a terrific team and i still think like warmly like almost kind of like love a little bit for the 1995 Seattle Mariners, but it is because of what was happening, where I was living in Seattle at the time and the people that I knew and the experiences that I was having and, you know, the kind of free and how the Mariners in a way like represented all of this, the excitement of their, I don't know if they won the division or they're in the pen, I can't remember anymore, but it was exciting and the sort of joy of all of that was sort of wrapped up with the experiences that I was having, you know, freshly out of the Marine Corps and this this feeling of freedom. Um, so it was nice. And I still every once in a while think of the 95 you know, Mariners, though I am a Dodgers fan. So it's complex. So. It is. It, it, and so interesting because 1995 versus now is completely different because then everything was so regional. So yeah. like now we got MLB.tv. So I can yeah. I can be in another country and watch a Giants game, which is just you can't if you want to follow a Mariners game in 1995, you got to be in Seattle or whatever or in a city that they're playing against to hear it on the radio to get yeah. any context. Or you look in the newspaper the next day to see what the what, what the scores were. Yeah. yeah. Or, 
Yeah, I mean, that's a whole thing, too. It's like, you know, we gain things, we lose things. It's a lot less special now. Like, you think yeah. about, like, food or whatever. I love food, but, you know, you can get, like, and I love this. Like, when I moved here in 97, like, L.A. was a lousy pizza town. I yeah. love pizza. But guess what? L.A. is not a lousy pizza town anymore. We have terrific pizza in this town. We have some terrific bagels. All these things that maybe, like, 25 28 years ago did not would have seemed you know so inobtainable in this town you can get that stuff now but you know it makes it a lot less special um i think when it's like yeah you know whatever i got great pizza in this town too like i was just yeah. in New York past couple of days and undoubtedly yeah. some excellent pizza but it's like eh, you know i mean like yeah, this is really good pizza but you know it's not the same obsession with like who i got to eat pizza because i'm in new york or new haven or whatever right whatever you you know you gain some things and you lose some things what's your pizza joint in los angeles Jeez, um i mean there's i could name probably about i'll say 10 places i like hail mary which oh. is uh in atwater you're not familiar with hail mary no no i'm this is you know this is for my knowledge <laughs> oh, hail mary, terrific quarter sheets pizza is great yeah. huh. um what else do I like? Have you been to, uh, was it DeSano's Bakery? I uh, love DeSano's. I've, New Yorkers come to LA and they're just like, oh yeah, your pizza. And I'm like, hold on a second. We're ordering yeah. DeSano's. And then, and I'm like, and you are going to keep your mouth shut and you're going to look yeah. at me in awe, like I'm a God. And they, yeah. and it comes and they're just like, oh, it's just like, it'll silence any New Yorker for the rest of their life. DeSano's is is terrific pizza and i think for me that was that first one where i was like oh if i ever leave la i'm going to miss this yeah. um and yeah DeSanos is is pretty wonderful um yeah there's yeah there's a there's a there's a bunch of places um anyway yeah and then but i also you know <clears throat> I, I i love i love going to new york and even it's just like there, even though even though we may have a lot of the same things, I think every city still runs on a different energy. Yeah, there's like a different frequency happening. And I there's something that I love about New York because, you know, even though I I work hard on my stuff, I also I don't have this hurried rush thing in my head. And to and when I'm in New York and everyone's hurrying around me as I'm nonchalantly walking over to the cafe to go over my woods. California, yeah. <laughs> it's like even back. even here when I'm at the cafe, even here when it's just like everyone just like runs and sits down and they have this like fake sense of urgency. And I'm like, dude, stare out the window. You can yeah. stare out the window for two seconds. Yeah. I know you're not working on something that's good. <laughs> I remember. One time when I was in New York City, I was producing this photo shoot and it was this uh, these studios on the Chelsea Piers. Anyway, so I was having a cup of coffee and I'm sitting there because they had like a common area. There's nobody else in this place with these big windows that looked out onto the Hudson River. And this guy came in to clean the windows. He was not doing this for my benefit because I was, you know, I'm not his boss and he wasn't trying to show me how hard he was working. It was so impressive just his hustle in cleaning those windows nobody was watching and to me it was one of those like perfect new york moments um you know i'm assuming the guy's an immigrant just hustling his ass off like cleaning the fuck out of those windows doing an amazing job and i just sat there for 10 minutes or so watching this guy and it was a very, it was very New York. And I think for me, that's always sort of like, that's that New York energy. Not that people in LA don't hustle. They certainly, right. they, they certainly do. Um, but again, it was a very New York moment. I was just, I was like, God, I love that. You know, the guy was, he's, he's here to, you know, he's, he's here to be victorious. And yeah. he, it was like watching performance art or something he was wonderful <laughs> you're such a writer because you got the beautiful hudson river right behind you you're like yeah oh my god i got the best view in town and then what impresses you is the guy washing the windows and i think it's so cool because you're looking at the character and you're like okay who is this guy from the inside <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, and actually, I have to say, that's interesting you bring that up, because one of the stories in the book, Surrender, there was actually, I can remember, there's a line in it that it was inspired by that guy. You know, like Oh, a, really? Yeah, so, you know, what I something like the New York-specific hustle, you know, of the uh -huh. immigrant, or something like that, but it was directly inspired, I just remembered that, by that guy. Because, again, he so epitomized to me, the energy of New York City and why people go to New York, you know, why they risk their lives, you know, traveling from all over the world to live there and to work there. And that guy, for me, like epitomized all of that. So I guess, again, us as writers, there's, ins man, there's inspiration everywhere. Um, was that thing that Henry James said? I think it was Henry James that like the writer is someone who... Uh, who upon nothing is lost or whatever it's something like that like everything means something basically and i think part of our you know another of our superpowers is again somebody washing the window or the you know the way somebody hands you a cup of coffee you know there's stories you know tied up in those things um and i think that's kind of cool i really like possessing that and it's it and I mean I got a couple things. Um, I hope I don't forget the second thing. But the one thing is like that's when we're like the baseball player, and we're and we and we look at it in such a different way, and we don't even think about it for a second. It's about the window washer. It's not what's behind the window washer. Where people yeah. be like, what is this guy taking up my view for? You know, yeah. and it's just like no, this guy. Um, I don't know it yet, but he's inspiring this into my book. He has no clue that he's been inspired into your book. Yeah. He does, he's walking around minding his business. He has no idea that he's in surrender. Yes. <laughs> exactly. He's been, you know, somewhat immortalized, or at least, you know, for as long as the, the physical copy of the book stays around. Um, yeah, that's really cool. And I think, you know, whatever, the Hudson River is beautiful. Like, I love the Hudson River. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of obvious though, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and not that I don't take pleasure from looking at the Hudson, right. uh, but again, the unique, the rare thing was this guy in front of the Hudson and, um, yeah, he's kind of popped into my life. You know, our paths sort of crossed for 10 minutes or so. And then that was it. And I hope, I hope he's doing well. I'm, you know, I hope his family's doing well. It's, it's interesting, too, because like even thinking about that is kind of, you know, our burden or our gift as writers, I think, because it makes you think of like, so does this guy have kids? Where are his, you know, are his kids someplace far away? Does he live with his kids? You know what I mean? And like, what is his life like? Is it going to, you know, is he happy? Um, anyway. And then you wonder, you know, us like, you know, when we're going about our day and nobody knows who we are, but it's somebody who was also writing and we end up in one of their books or we end up as a, a character, uh, I would say a character strength, not a character flaw in one of their films, you know? Yeah, maybe it's, <laughs> it's kind of pretentious to say, but like, yeah, sure. Whatever, Tony. <laughs> I, well, I, I think, I think that, I think the point is, is that we all affect every, we, we have no idea how much we affect everybody. And then when we realize as writers were affected by everybody, yeah. it also kind of goes, wait a second, who's affected by me, by their art. And when I go to a art exhibit, I go, that's me. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. you. <laughs> I go, oh, no, she knows me. You've never met her. I know, but she's read my work. You can tell. <laughs> yes. Just be totally arrogant about it and think everything revolves. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> I can I want to I want to use that in front of an artist one day and just be like I know this is me <laughs> I never met you no 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 you have no idea <laughs> well I'll be I'll be curious to see what happens I would love to see you do I want to be there when you do that <laughs> oh that's yeah you wonder why I'm divorced <laughs> how long were you married well actually uh, you you would probably be a pretty interesting guy to be married to. I mean, like interesting, like you know, quotation marks. Like you, oh yeah, yeah, intense guy. I can't yeah. believe I'm not divorced. I have to say, I've been married for 29 years. Oh yeah, that's when is so is 30 coming up next year? Next year, that's it's freaky to think about. And again, it's I'm not an easy guy to be married to. Probably that's why right. we, and that's the reason why we get along. 
Yeah. Um, again, but it's, you know, I'm, I guess I'm just a very stubborn person too. And so is my wife too, obviously that anything else is just not an option. Um, and there's something to be said, I think for stubbornness and, you know, the secret of making a relationship work. And is that the, what is the secret? Cause I need to know for my next, then for my next one, I'll be, I'll be more stubborn with somebody as stubborn as me. Yeah, exactly. Pig headed stubbornness. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> I'll go up to women now and just be like, are you pig headed? Are you stubborn? So yeah, am a, I. We should a, hang out. Yeah, that's a definite. That's a good. That's a good opening line. How do I approach? Somebody, <laughs> somebody responds to it. You know, they're a unique kind of a person. Yeah. Yeah. So we, it, it's a kind of question. It's like a weeding out question. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, Oh, the, uh, the joy of the, I see, I, I'm such a relationship guy. I feel like a relationship is easier than being single, but at the same time, being single is very easy. Maybe it's too easy. And that's what drives me crazy, but then I'm also very picky. So <laughs> it's, you know, takes forever in between. Cause I'm like, eh, no, 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 no. And you know, it's no rhyme I, or reason. I'm just, I, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I think as we get older, uh, it was like a therapist, you know, had said one time, as you get older, you just become more like yourself. And I think that sort of feeds into this thing where, again, you get to a certain age, like, no, because, yeah. you know, the chances of you sort of changing or bending or whatever to to suit somebody else, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and you- yeah, and it, and it's it's you know, and I I look on these like online dating profiles because I'm I'm on one right now, but I'm you know about to lose my mind and get off of it again. How, how, how I usually do it, yeah, and um and uh it's just you know they 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 say things like I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a career woman and I'm really busy, uh but I'm looking and I'm like and all you had to say was career woman and busy and I'm like uh uh-uh. yeah not no. this is doomed. Yeah, it's doomed from the start because what does career woman mean? That means that you're working for somebody else and you're not doing, you know, for me is what I assume that you have some, you know, great job that you're a lawyer or a partner or whatever, but it's not in your heart. You're not, you're not out there with the, the pursuing it. You know, maybe it is in your heart. Maybe that's what your heart wants to do, but it's always for like, it always feels like it's for someone else if they have a career job, you know, if, if if they're if they're if they were produce if they were producing films in Farsi, then I would be like, let's talk. Well, because exactly. I, that's the same word that feels like that you're you got a lunacy in you that I got in me that we can put together. Yeah, exactly. We don't, you know, it it can you know extinguish each other. Um, but yeah, I think that like I think there's a difference between like a calling and a job. I think clearly what we do we as writers all of us listening here you know the producers of farsi language films or whatever it's a calling more so than this is certainly not you can't even really call us a job um yeah I, I just can't could not imagine doing a job um i don't mind doing jobs because i know that if i have to do side jobs that's only filling my life the yeah. the writing life so so even if even if i'm doing a i would like some of this stuff i've done ghostwriting and i'm like oh my god i that's like saps my soul i'm like i'd rather trim your hedges for ten dollars an hour that would give me more soul and that would also be me pursuing my career as a writer because that gets me that gets the bills paid and it's and actually you know gardening is preferable to ghostwriting when because i don't i don't need to be in your head with your idiotic idea i'll 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 be over here doing manual labor you know well i think too like again you bring up this example of like trimming your hedges i mean that's interesting i mean to be in the world i'm I'm just very curious about how people live their lives um and i'm curious about where people live like you could give me a i was just what was it last year i was in toledo ohio um, for like three days and, you know, I, you know, corporal clinger from mash was from Toledo, Ohio. It's always been sort of like, 
not the butt of jokes, but it is kind of like a punchline in a way. I'm from Pittsburgh originally, and Pittsburgh was like that place as well. It's like, okay, like, why would you want to go there? But I think places like, I had a great time in Toledo for three days, because here's this place that people have lived in for whatever, 175 or thousands of years or whatever. And here's this place again where they drink coffee or how they used to make money you know oh it's a port um and they made glass there or whatever like you could give me a ticket to toledo ohio and i would be very happy so and to me that's kind of like the like cutting trimming hedges because for a short period of time hopefully that you know you could inhabit that world and just see you know experience what that's like um, which I think again helps our writing, um, because it's you know it's a different perspective and it's a different experience. So I'd like so yeah I I totally you know rather than getting in somebody's like insane or not terrific idea pretentious possibly idea of writing that you have to somehow magically fix, which is soul killing. At least trimming hedges is an honest, yeah honest, exactly. Yeah, and not a diseased way of trying to make a living. That's yeah. a hard work. And I, we, uh, that's right, because we were talking about Pittsburgh. Because I, because I'm, I've got this new thing that I want to start visiting these other cities that just pe- one that people kind of usually don't go to. Because I know I'll find beauty and gems in it. It's like even even when I was mar- when I was married and went to because my my ex wife is from Wisconsin, so we go to these small towns in Wisconsin. And they were glorious. Yeah. They were fascinating. It's it was and it was just fun to, you know, just to chat with people that have that that have their life there. And that's almost more interesting than going to New York and you know, it's it's it's, it's that's the sexy stuff. That's yeah, that that's where it's just like, oh man, I could I could sit here and I can have you got three coffee shops in town. I don't like two of them, but I like one of them. Yeah. And that's the one I go to. And it's yeah. almost like LA anyway, because I have not that many places that I, yeah, you, you know, got a just... coffee shop basically anyway. Right. <laughs> Actually, that's what I, that's what I really loved about the Marine Corps. And I did not love being in the Marine Corps, but I loved my Marines and I loved Marines because Here's this, you know, totally randomly selected group of people that you would be in charge of. You'd have, I don't know, whatever, 20, 30 random Americans from everywhere, small towns, medium-sized towns, big cities, um, all different kinds of backgrounds and cultures and stuff. And to me, that was a real, like, you know, it was a real gold mine of, you know, for somebody who's curious about other people, being in the Marine Corps was like, it was intoxicating because, you know, you got to experience all these different people and they shared all this stuff with you, you know, about how they were, how they were brought up, what their families were like and food that they ate and the way that they saw the world. Um, That was incredible. Um, I really loved that. And it's for a storyteller or a writer, it's a terrific, it was a terrific, what, five, six years that I did. Like I said, even though I did not enjoy the job specifically of being a Marine, um, I really enjoyed Marines a lot. And that was a, it was a, you know, it's an overused term, but it was a transformative experience for me, you know, being this guy who, you know, basically came from a middle-class to upper middle-class white suburb of Pittsburgh um, my first real sort of brush with diversity, true diversity happened in the Marine Corps and changed the way that I see the world, um, really opened my eyes up. You know, not like not that I wasn't searching for that, I think, as a kid growing up in that suburb. There just weren't those opportunities to to really meet people that were different than you. And in the Marine Corps, they just throw you in the deep end. And you just got to swim. And it was terrific. And again, the the amount of love, so to speak, that I received 
from those Marines and continue to this day. I've been out of the Marine Corps for 30 years now. Um, kind of mind blowing, really amazing people um, and continue to fuel my creative engine. Um, so, yeah. It's so know. it's so intriguing because you didn't, you didn't like the job or what you had to do, but it seems like those people mean and meant and mean everything to you. And how sexy is that? No, exactly. And I mean, even the beginning of the book, Surrender, there's like five names in there. And those are basically, you know, five of the the most, in you know, guys that were most impactful on this transformative experience and this love that I speak of. Those guys were at the center of all that. But there was even, you know, even Marines that I don't remember really. I mean, there was a lot of those experiences Um that again, that I can only characterize as as love because that's really what it was and is. And you know, I would not be the, you know, I would not be able to produce Farsi language films or write the books that I write without that experience. So again, it comes back to the hedge trimming again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Like you do this job and you maybe feel sorry for yourself a little bit. Oh, it's so hot out here. Uh, nobody gives a shit. I'm not being paid enough money. This sucks. Um, but we get if again, I think if we have our eyes open or or whatever, or or paying attention enough, that it can give us again back to like that's how we're really rich people. Yeah, the Marine Corps was the one of those first places that made me like a rich person in terms of shared humanity and love. Um and it was interesting because at that time I understood that that's what was happening too. Mm. You know, 25 or whatever. I think I was finally sort of like, you know, conscious enough, or, you know, if that's the word of this is something really amazing is happening and it's because of these people. Um, so, yeah. That's beautiful. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Tony, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. listening to 101.9 FM KPCR LP Santa Cruz
Thanks for silence.